Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 and 103.5 FM. John Justice, producer Robbie, 651-989-5855 is the phone number. Of course, you can email justice at iheartmedia.com and leave a talk back. If you're listening on the iHeart Radio app, be careful on the roads this morning. A lot more snow than I think a lot of us were expecting got dumped on the ground. It was slippery on the drive-in. Unfortunately, it also kept State Representative Walter Hudson from joining me in studio, but he is on the phone this morning, and I appreciate it. Good morning, Walter. How are we doing this morning? Good morning from the uh, not-at-all-speedy 169. <laughs> Let's get into. Uh, thanks for calling in. I know you got stuck, and it's not a not a huge surprise with the weather being what it uh, what it is. Um, let's get into this legislative session so far. That's Thursday. It started on Monday. I know you've had a lot to say online, especially on X. I encourage everybody to follow you um, there. But before we get into specifics, and especially the um, the big issue of the week, it appears to be the debate over the um, prone use of prone restraint to SROs in schools. What's been your general instinctive reaction to these opening days of the legislative session this year? Well, it's, so it, it's interesting because it seems as though there's a very different mood within the majority, a lot more dysfunction and disagreement regarding the direction they should go and how they should approach this shorter legislative session in an election year. Um, but in terms of like final results and, and, and what we're seeing and how they're operating, it's exactly the same as it was last year. We are shut out of conversations. There's virtually no real meaningful bipartisanship whatsoever. Um, they're just doing whatever they want and taking full use of their majority power to do whatever they find to be politically expedient for themselves and try to characterize every issue um, in a way that makes them look good, even though even when they're obviously wrong, such as the SRO issue. I'm very cautious. And before we get to the SRO issue, just based off of your, your opening comments about the legislative session so far this week, again, talking with uh, State Representative Walter Hudson. So the, the big items prior to getting to the SRO leading into the legislative session, um, the assisted suicide bill, which we've talked about, uh, and of course, making Minnesota a sanctuary state. We've already had <clears throat> DFLers coming out and saying they're not going to get behind either of those bills. To the point where you've had DFL leadership saying that they're going to be dead on arrival. But I'm also hearing the possibility that these could be attached to omnibus bills and could actually move forward through those. So how authentic at this point, and maybe it's an unfair question, Walter Hudson, but you know, how genuine are those comments coming from those DFLers saying they're not going to get on board? And do you expect that their tunes may change if these bills aren't standalones anymore, but are attached to a larger omnibus bill? Listen, I don't trust a damn thing these people say about anything, and neither should you. Um, I'll give you another example. So sure. there's been there's been conflicting comments made from Democrats in public regarding uh, potential constitutional amendments. And one of the things that they've said is, well, we're not going to do any constitutional amendments this year. Um, well, it turns out, based upon Speaker Melissa Hortman's comments on Monday to the media, that's not necessarily true. They've been, they're playing semantic games because, yeah, they might not be on the ballot in 2024. That doesn't mean they're not going to come to the House floor to be placed on the ballot in 2026. That's what she's saying with this so-called Equal Rights Amendment, which has nothing whatsoever to do with equal rights. It's an attack on women wearing the skin 
of a 100-year-old idea um, and, and hollowing it out and stuffing it full of a bunch of current-year nonsense that the original authors of the ERA would have found abhorrent. Um, but they're, they're, what they're going to do, based upon these comments both from Speaker Hortman and uh, Majority Leader Long on Monday to the press, is they're going to combine all of their worst ideas, call it the Equal Rights Amendment, pass it out this year, and then have it be on the ballot in 2026. That's what I gleaned from their comments on Monday. So that's an example of the way in which they kind of, they, they'll say one thing out of one side of their mouth and say something completely different on the other side, and your confusion, they'll say, is your fault for not listening to them carefully enough. Moving out the ability for to put this on the ballot, but passing it through, is this just an attempt to go and avoid any controversy heading into the elections? I can't think of any other reason why you would push this out unless you simply don't want to make this, you know, to, to move forward on something this controversial right now because you think it'll have a negative impact on, on those running for election. Well, I think the strategy is twofold. First of all, so, you know, there's been talk of an abortion right. constitutional amendment. Well, that's very clearly, based on how they're talking in the media, um, going to be rolled into this ERA. Okay. And, and so it's going to be, you know, one amendment to rule them all. <laughs> um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to do everything that they want. It's going to destroy the definition of woman. It's going to uh, force you constitutionally to have to renounce the given name of your child and call them zizure or whatever their chosen pronoun is. Um, and it's going to permanently codify, permanently strip civil, civil rights from an entire category of human beings, the unborn, uh, which is just unbelievably historically vile. You're talking about taking a step back in terms of civil rights to a place that we've actually never been. We've never been at a place in our society where we've had in our Constitution a rationale for legally killing people, but that's the direction that they want to go. Um, and so I think part of the rationale is they want to kill all their birds with one stone. Um, but also, I think the reason why they want to have it in 2026 is not to avoid controversy this year, because they don't, they couldn't possibly care less about that. Uh, and we'll, we'll demonstrate that when we talk about SROs, but because it has more electoral utility for them in 2026. Because this year, uh, the only thing that's uh, on the ballot is the House. In 2026, you're going to have the Senate and the governor's race up there, and they believe that the ERA is going to give them a electoral boost. And so they would rather have everybody be able to coast on those coattails as opposed to just the House. That makes a lot more sense. Let's uh, turn our attention, State Representative Walter Hudson, over to the issue of the SRO fix, the proposal to fix the law on school resource officers stalled in the Minnesota House. We talked about this a bit yesterday. I have some audio that I'll play after our conversation this morning, Walter, from Minnesota Democrat uh, Heather Keeler talking about police officers creating a prison-style atmosphere, saying that she has no good memories from school because she was over-policed. I have my own thoughts on that audio that I'll play a little bit later on. But let's get into a bit of your thoughts on where we stand on this potential SRO fix and the fact that they want to move it out of the legislative body and put it in the hands of the of the post board, correct? The Peace Officer Standards and Training Board? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I, this, this is not the worst thing that the Democrats have done by far. 
but it is very much worth following and unpacking from start to yet to be determined finish because this whole process has been very indicative of how they operate and what their priorities are and it's not you it's not your kids it's not your schools it's their internal ideological politics that is the driving force of this entire thing and it started off with the the smuggling of this language that is now law um, that applies to public safety and the conduct of law enforcement officers in an education omnibus bill. Now, you know, you have all these different committees um, at the legislature in both the Senate and the House that have different jurisdictions. You've got education committees, you've got public safety committees, you've got elections, state government, state and local government, these different uh, areas of jurisdiction. And the interest groups that are particularly tied to a certain jurisdiction are only paying attention to the committees that are relevant to what they do. So, for instance, a, uh, the, the Minnesota Police and Peace Officers Association, the MPPOA, is probably not spending a lot of time reviewing the minutes of the Education Committee, right? right. It's probably not something that's, that's high on their radar. And yet, that's where this language was inserted. It was never heard in public safety. It has a direct impact upon of police officers operating within schools as SROs. And what it does, I, I just want to really clarify what this language does because yeah, I, I, I feel as though we missed the forest from the trees on this. It's actually really, really simple. Under the, the previous um, standard, mm-hmm. you had one standard that applied to all police officers who are acting as school resource officers. And that was the reasonable use of force standard, meaning that if we're going to call into question an action that an officer took in a given situation, whether it's in a school or on the street, the question we're going to ask is, would another reasonable officer have acted in the same way under the same circumstances? That's the standard. What they did is they imposed what, by definition, is an unreasonable standard, because that's an either-or. You're either reasonable or you're not. They created a second standard that applies only to school resource officers, and it was so ridiculous that you could have a a patrol officer um, from off the street who's completely unfamiliar with the layout of the school and the the particular students within it come in and use the old standard that applies out in the street, but the school resource officer who has the same license and has the same job can't act in the same way. That's how ridiculous it was. Now, this should have been a really simple fix. It was recognized in August once laws started taking effect because, you know, you, you kind of got to start paying attention then, right? Right. So right. All, all these law enforcement agencies recognized that this was happening, um, and they reacted. And a lot of them reacted, including in Hennepin County, with DFL-endorsed DeWanna DeWitt as the sheriff, who's by no means a rabid right-winger, um, making the choice to pull SROs out of school because of the ambiguity and confusion that this caused. And by the way, it's so ambiguous and so confusing that even in these initial days of the legislative session, you're, you still have their own representatives and senators asking questions about what the law does. They don't even understand it. And so this should have been fixed immediately. It should have been fixed in a special session back before school started. It wasn't. As a result, we're now looking at 53% increase in 911 calls in Hennepin County to schools. We're looking at, at, at situations where you know, officers have encountered known gang members roaming the halls in schools who don't belong in that school, and there's nothing they can do about it. 
under the ambiguity of this law, all this endangerment of students is the direct result of the DFL, of the Democrats in this state. And instead of fix it, they're playing this game with this bill authored by Cedric Frazier that, as you point out, only pretends to fix the language, but actually takes the issue entirely out of statute and places it in the hands and the purview of the post board, which is the licensing board that determines whether or not a cop can even be a cop. And, and what they're saying is that board is going to come up with, quote unquote, model policy that then must be adopted by all of these law enforcement agencies under penalty of potentially losing their licenses. So in other words, you're going to have the exact same force of law. It's just not going to have any attachment to representative government. It's going to be a, a, a body of unelected bureaucrats appointed by the governor deciding what the rules are for cops. And people like me who hold election certificates aren't going to be able to say anything about it. That's their quote-unquote solution. And uh, we know for a fact that the intention here is to basically copy and paste what is the, the current problem and just implement it in a different way that provides them with political cover. Talking with uh, State Representative Walter Hudson, it sounds like if they end up getting what they want in how you're describing it, it doesn't sound like it's going to change the dynamics at all relating to the reluctance that law enforcement currently has to go into schools. It sounds like we're still not going to be able to have law enforcement in our schools because there still is going to be that liability factor that's not being fixed. Am I correct in that? I think what you'll see happen, like if the bill in its current form were to become law, I think what you would see happen is a lot, a lot of people patting each other on the back and some short-term congratulations and perhaps even SROs returning into schools in the short term. Because in the short term, this restores the single unified standard of reasonable use of force. Okay. But as soon, as soon as the post board, with its newfound authority, gets around to making new rules, uh, gotcha. With this through this model policy, you're going to find that the current problem is going to creep, perhaps all of a sudden, back into uh, the 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 mix. Only there's not going to be a legislative way to address it because the purview is going to be entirely within the control of the post board and the governor and nobody else. Literally nobody else. It sounds like a massive setup. You can't predict what's going to happen in the future, but we know the violence that's taking place in our schools. It, there's a, it's a matter of time before an SRO returns to a school, gets involved in an altercation, and then this ends up becoming an issue. And it sounds like a big, huge setup for when that eventually happens based off of what's happening in our public schools at the moment, Walter. Well, yeah, it's, listen, they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. Um, they're, they're trying to make it look like they're solving the problem and getting SROs back in school. And it's even, like I say, it's even calculated to, in the short term, have the effect of making the problem go away. But then they're planting the seed yeah. and counting on being able to re reestablish the status quo and even make it worse. In fact, if you go and you listen to, you know, I've got a, a couple of clips up on my social media. If you go to my Twitter, you go to my Facebook, you can see this. You've got Athena Hollins and Cedric Frazier 
and Dave Pinto going back and forth with each other in the Public Safety Committee on Tuesday night, making it very clear that the intention is to empower the Post Board with the ability to impose a one-size-fits-all standard for how school resource officers ought to conduct themselves with kids. The only reason why you would have concern over trying to impose consistency across the state is if you're anticipating that you're going to invent a second standard, because we already had consistency. The reasonable use of force standard is a consistent standard. How does I, I've got audio and I'm going to play a little bit uh, later uh, from an individual on Monday uh, testifying with regard to the um, use of prone restraint. And they're making the comparison to the 2015 a law banning the use of this technique as it relates to students and others with disabilities and trying to craft an argument saying we're banning it over here. And for these reasons, we should also be banning it here as well. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a giant red herring because, again, the core of this issue is reasonable use of force versus unreasonable use of force. That's it. That is what this entire thing is about. And what the Democrat position is, is that reasonable use of force should not be the standard that applies to school resource officers. That is quite literally what they are saying. They're not saying it explicitly, but that is the meaning of the words coming out of their mouth, that we cannot trust the reasonable use of force standard to, to apply in schools in such a way that police officers conduct themselves appropriately. And that is complete and utter nonsense. What, what they're saying is, is that something that would be determined as reasonable in a court of law should be banned. That's what they're saying. Talking with so in other words, our, our, our police officers serving in schools should be bound to an unreasonable standard. <laughs> couple of items before I cut you loose this morning, Representative Walter Hudson. On a lesser note, we were talking about these earlier. Um, do you have any further details? This just seems bizarre. I don't know where it's coming from, but this would be the House File 3556 requiring districts participating in the National Meal Program to give students 15 minutes minimum for when they sit down to eat a school lunch if approved. Um, you have any thoughts on this particular, um, house, uh, this particular uh, bill? I don't, it's not a very sophisticated thought. I just, I think Sidney Jordan uh, has some sort of obsession with food that I cannot quite uh, decipher. Because this seems to be like where her head is at at all times is the the kids and their lunch and what they're eating. And I just don't understand it. I I don't, it it seems like a a, a desperate uh, obsession with micromanaging how and when and what children eat when they go to school. And we just have so many more prevalent, imminent, important issues that we ought to be spending our time working on. Um, Like you said when you were talking about this earlier, I I don't know that this is a problem anywhere, but to the extent that it is, that is an issue that probably ought to be dealt with locally. Yeah. Like your school board, your school administrators – you ought to be able to go to them and get that problem fixed. And if they won't fix it to your liking, you ought to be able to oust them. That's how this should work. But you know why it doesn't work that way? Here's, here's where I'll pivot with it. Sure. You know why it doesn't work that way to where you can just go to your administrator and complain and get it changed or go to your school board and complain and get it changed? Because your elected representatives in the school boards don't have any actual power. That's why. 
because you don't have any actual access to how your schools operate. And their, their solutions, quote-unquote, only make that worse by imposing top-down mandates that apply to everybody one-size-fits-all rather than empowering local communities to take care of their own. The last item I wanted to ask you about, and again, on a on a less concerning note, but just it seems ridiculous to me, is uh, this bill to allocate one million dollars to help LGBTQ individuals move to Minnesota by giving this yeah. money to NGOs to support LGBTQ individuals and their families who are in the process of relocating to Minnesota or recently done so. Your thoughts on this? I got to imagine there's an argument that it's unconstitutional. I mean, you're literally giving people money based upon who they have sex with, um, which is insane. It's just utterly and completely insane. Um, and and <laughs> it's just the, the point that you made earlier of if you were to do a similar thing with a different demographic, yeah. for instance, try to invite people based upon their Christian status to move to Minnesota and you're going to help them pay their bills to do so. Uh, we all know what would happen. We all know how it would go down. It would be, it'd be struck down immediately um, as discriminatory uh, and, and an inappropriate mixture of religion and the state. And, you know, I think what this, what it really speaks to is the fact that we need to recognize this whole LGBTQIA two spirit nonsense, whatever it is we're talking about, um, as a religion, because that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. And yeah. The, the, if they want to have a quote unquote separation of church and state, okay, let's separate all of them then. Yeah, we need to have that discussion because you're absolutely you're absolutely correct. I mean, and certainly political in nature when we talk about the inclusion of so much of the imagery in our in our schools or, you know, attempting here to go and allocate specific money. Um, you're right. And as I mentioned earlier, if you tried to create a bill to allocate one million dollars to churches who support Christians and their families to move to Minnesota, we all know how that would get laughed off immediately. But that is a group of individuals who have a, you know, who identify a particular way. But we know that, you know, the world that we live in would not allow that. So hopefully this doesn't um, go much, uh, much further. Uh, Walter Hudson, state representative, uh, final thoughts before I let you uh, go this morning. Thank you for the time. And sorry, uh, the weather kept you from coming in. But any Anything uh, you want to leave the audience with? Well, just from an accountability standpoint on that last thing of funding LGBTQs moving here from another state, how, as an accountability measure, how are you going to verify that somebody actually is whatever they claim they are? Good point. Right? I mean, th this is the level of absurdity. When you start paying people to move here based upon their bedroom behavior, uh, it seems to me that you're opening up the door to a fair amount of fraud. Yeah. Because how are you going to verify that? Keep up the good work, uh, Walter Hudson. And again, thank you for the time. We'll talk to you again uh, next week on uh, Tuesday. Thank you.